All right, I asked you at the beginning of worship today, I'll ask again. When you hear me say, hey, we're starting a series today on the Ten Commandments, how do you feel? Enthused? I, I don't know if enthused is what many, if any, of you are feeling. Um, maybe you're in awe and full of respect. I, I could see that, especially if you know how the commandments were given on top of a mountain full of fire and smoke. Moses was up there 40 days. We didn't talk about that today, but we will in the future. Maybe awe and respect. Maybe you feel, or do you feel, overwhelmed, tired, guilty, Maybe you feel not enough. Those four kind of all go together. Or maybe you feel determined. Like, yeah, this time, this time I'm going to figure out how to do these commandments better than I ever have before. I, I've known them. Maybe you've known them since you were a kid. Maybe you, maybe you don't even know them at all, but you're determined. How do you feel when you hear, today we're starting a series on the Ten Commandments? Martin Luther said in his book, Bondage of the Will, he said, these commandments are not things you can do. He said they're things you should do, but that you can't do. He said that the Bible says the commandments make you aware of your sin. They make you conscious of your own sin. So, some of those things I mentioned, overwhelmed, guilty, not enough, tired, in a way, when you hear Ten Commandments, in a way, you should feel that way. Because the truth is, we're not enough. They do overwhelm us. I can't keep them all. You can't either. We are guilty. So in a sense, you should feel that way. But when you hear we're starting a series on the Ten Commandments, don't let that be the only thing you feel. Because that's not, that's not the ultimate point. Because, because Jesus came to earth and did these commandments and all the laws perfectly, and because he died and rose from the dead, God says right now, no matter how you did at keeping the commandments these last week, God says right now, you are enough. He says, you're not guilty. You're innocent because Jesus took away all your guilt. He says, you are worthy of being with me forever and ever in eternal life. So even though you might feel overwhelmed or guilty when you hear Ten Commandments, that's not the only thing. And that's not the main thing. Because the same God who has guarded your heart from guilt because he's taken every last bit of your guilt away. You heard him claim that at the beginning of worship. That same God, he gives you the Ten Commandments to serve as a guard for all the good gifts that he's given you and me in this world. He guards those gifts and he also guards us. And today as we look at the first commandment, we're seeing that God is the guardian of our hearts. I read the first commandment earlier. It's this, you shall have no other gods. Now there was a guy named Naaman. And Naaman, I would say, he was not a nobody. Definitely not a nobody. He was very important. He had a lot of honor and prestige. The Bible says he was the commander of the army of Aram. And Aram was the area to the northeast of Israel. It's what is modern day Syria. He had a ton of power. He was second in command to the king. The Bible calls him a valiant soldier. Um, the Bible also says he was highly regarded, but he had a problem. He had leprosy, which was a debilitating and terminal skin disease. 
And God just so happened to make it happen that Naaman's wife had a little servant girl. A servant girl who had at some point actually been abducted from Israel. And the little servant girl said to Naaman's wife, Hey, your husband, your husband should go see the prophet in Israel. That prophet, he would definitely heal your husband. And it's not what today's about, but that's amazing. That an abducted little servant girl would care about the people who were in charge of her. They didn't take her, but they bought her from people who did take her. She would care enough about them to tell them, hey, I know how you can be healed. When she very well might have thought the exact opposite. Good, I hope you die. But she did it because she had faith in the Lord. So she says, go see the prophet in Israel. And, and in the beginning of 2 Kings 5, you'd see that eventually Naaman makes his way to the front door of the prophet Elisha who is the prophet that the little girl was talking about. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. Here's what happened. Elisha sent a messenger to say to Naaman, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. The Jordan, if you don't know, is the river in Israel. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He felt slighted. Like he was a guy who had, who had it all. He was very important. And he felt slighted because the things, the way things were going, they weren't the way he thought they should go. He thought he had it all planned out, but, but he didn't like the God's, God's plan. And since he went off in a rage and he refused to listen to God's word, to God's promise, he lost out on all the benefits of God's promise. He could have been clean. He could have been healed. But instead, he thought, couldn't, couldn't I just do it my way? Couldn't I just do it a better way than wash in the Jordan? It's a filthy, horrible river. Now, before uh, you sit there and just think, come on, Naaman, it was so easy. Know that, that what he did, it is the natural tendency of every single human heart, even ours. Even when we come face to face, even when I come face to face with the promises of God, we ask, couldn't I, couldn't I um, be seen as a really good person? Because, come on, I am a really good person. I do a lot of really good things. Couldn't I be seen as valuable because I actually am valuable and I do valuable things for all the people around me in my life? Couldn't I feel like I was good enough because... I actually do enough good? Couldn't I be happy? I mean, I know myself the best. And people, we each know ourselves the best. Couldn't I be happy by doing what I know and believe will make me the happiest? We do the same thing that Naaman did. But let me tell you, and I would say I hate to say it because it sounds harsh, but it's, it's true and the real truth is so much better than this, but your enoughness 
is never enough. So if you're trying to feel worthy or valuable or enough or at peace or at rest, don't look to your enoughness. Because even if you are the best in the world, your best will always leave you lacking. Thankfully, Naaman, he had some servants that spoke some sense to him. They said, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? And the answer is, of course, yes, because he wanted to know that he was good and that he could do something. How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. How did Naaman's servants know? I don't know. Maybe they heard the young servant girl talking about the one true God at some point. Why did Naaman listen to them? He was far above them. They were his servants. He didn't need to listen to them. He probably could have punished them for even suggesting that he do this. Why did he listen? I don't know. Maybe he thought, well, you know, I might as well give it a try. I came all this way. I'm not going to go back home without actually having tried anything. At least I'll try to do what this weird, crazy prophet told me to do. Maybe that was it. I don't know. But you heard the result. He was cleaned. And did you notice he was even cleaner than he was beforehand? His, it wasn't just that the leprosy was taken away. No, his skin became like that of a young boy. He was a hardened soldier. He was cleaner now than when he had started. And that's what God does. And I'm speaking spiritually now. He takes us and cleans us even cleaner and in a better way than we even believe is possible. And now Naaman, he was in a rage no more. Here's what happened next. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Naaman wasn't only just cleaned on the outside, he was spiritually cleaned as well. God used this miracle not just to make him physically healthy, and to save his physical life, but even better, to save his spiritual life. And turn his heart from saying, Oh, Elisha, I, I thought that, that he would just pray to the name of the Lord, his God. And now he's saying, I know, I know there is no God except the one in Israel. And then we, we see this more. He's so focused, not on himself, but just on the one true God. The verses finish up this way. The prophet answered, this is Elisha, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. He didn't want to give any impression that God's love was for sale or that you could buy it. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not accept the gift, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. So he wanted to take dirt from Israel back to Damascus and do sacrifices on this land only to the true God. And he goes on, But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master, the king, enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord 
forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. Naaman, it's like a switch flipped. He was no longer concerned with pleasing himself or pleasing his master, the king, at all. His heart was totally focused on simply living for the Lord. Now, I don't know, he mentioned the god Ramon, um, who was allegedly the king, the, the god that his king bowed down to. I don't know if Naaman, if he used to believe in that god, or if he just went along with the motions in order to please his master, the king. But he's so focused on the one true God now that he says, I know, I know it looks bad. I'm going to have to go to the temple, though, because I'm still the king's servant. I'm going to have to go to the temple, and, and it's going to look like I'm bowing down and worshiping. But Elisha, I'm not. But, but I ask God to forgive me because the king's got to lean on me, and so I have to bow down. But my heart, Elisha, it's good. And God gave Elisha the knowledge, even though we can't see into people's hearts, he gave Elisha the knowledge to know that Naaman was telling the truth. His body was bowing down, but his heart, God was guarding his heart. His heart would only bow down and worship the one true God. And so Elisha told him, go in peace. He was saying, Naaman, your heart is whole. It is at peace. It is good with God because God is guarding it. And that's how God is unlike idols. The Lord gives peace. We talked a little bit about idols earlier. Um, but, but Martin Luther says, here, here's what an idol is. Um, it's a God, a God or an idol, is that to which we look for all good and in which we find refuge in every time of need. That to which your heart clings and entrusts itself is really your God. So in other words, almost anything can be a God. Almost anything can be the thing that you put your hope in or you find your rest in or your security or your happiness. And I'd propose that we each have a lot of different gods and idols, even every single day. Martin Luther asked the question, he says, does your heart cling to something else? from which it hopes to receive more good and more help than God? And does it flee not to God, but from him when things go wrong? If so, then you have an idol, another God. Now, a week ago, Sunday night, um, there was a woman named uh, Sydney McLaughlin, and she set a world record in the Olympic trials in the 400-meter hurdle race. Uh, this is her. You can put her picture up there. That's her. There's a picture taken right after she finished. She ran one lap around the track, jumped over 10 hurdles 30 inches high, and she did it in 51.9 seconds, faster than any woman has ever run the 400-meter hurdles. She's literally the best that's ever been. She's 21 years old. And since she won the U.S. Olympic trials, that means she's going to the Olympics for the second time in her life because, yes, she went five years ago when she was only 16 as well. But now she's the best. And let me read to you what she wrote on Instagram as a caption to that photo two days after her race. Here's what she said. She captioned it, The face of a woman who is in awe of God. 
I no longer run for self-recognition. I don't deserve anything. But by grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. Records come and go. The glory of God is eternal. Thank you, Father. I've read that a bunch of times this week. I, I'm getting, not that chills mean a lot, but I'm getting chills right now and I'm almost crying. Because, wow, what could be better than being the best in the world? And she truly is the best, not just today, but the best in all of history. What could be better than that? How would you feel if you were the best hurdler in history? Or how would you feel if, if you were the best parent ever? Or the best friend? Or the best neighbor? Or the best line worker? Or the best pastor? Or the best woman? Or the best man? Or the best human? Or the best fill in the blank? How, it, like, how could it get any better than that, right? But it seems like she's downplaying it. She's saying, yeah, this happened. And yeah, I did it and I'm the world record holder. But it's like she's downplaying it. Because she says, records come and go, but the glory of God is eternal. By grace, through faith, Jesus has given me everything. What is that everything? He's given her the freedom from striving to be good enough the freedom from striving to be the best in the world, freedom from trying to prove that she's good or valuable or worthy of any sort of praise or recognition. And on a personal level, he's freed her from trying to live up to a standard to earn God's love. And that's where what she wrote stems from. God has given you the same peace. It would be so easy for her to idolize the accomplishment that she did a week ago or to idolize, what if I win a gold medal? You know, at the Olympics five years ago, I didn't even make the final. But what if I won a gold medal? Then, oh, then that would be the best. It'd be so easy for her to idolize it. And it's so easy for us to idolize being a good enough fill in the blank or having a certain set of life circumstances. But idols don't give peace. They don't make your heart full. The Lord does. And he gives you freedom. As we go through this series on the Ten Commandments, he gives you freedom from having the main point be, I'm going to do better. Of course, we always want to do better at keeping the commandments. But God has freed you. And he gives you these commandments as a gift, he guards all the good gifts in your life. And today, as we've seen, he guards your heart from trying to find peace in any other small g God or idol. By grace, through faith, Jesus has given you too everything. Amen. Let me pray uh, for all of us. Dear Jesus, Naaman thought he knew the best way he thought he was good enough to figure out a way to heal himself. Thank you for working faith in his heart 
and cleaning him of his, of his physical ailment. Even more so, thank you for cleaning his soul and giving him faith and trust in you. Thank you also for doing that for us. Through the work of your son, Jesus, you have taken away all of our guilt. You have freed us from, from the point of life being striving to be enough for you or for anyone else or even enough for ourselves. You say to us, because Jesus took away our sins, you say to each of us, you are enough. You are valuable. You are worthy. You are loved. Not because of you, you say, but because of me. You speak to us and you say, I, God, love you no matter what. So, work in our hearts, faith and trust in you, the God above all other small g gods. Let us find our greatest comfort, our greatest value, our worth, our security, our hope, our happiness, our joy in your unconditional love for us. And then, out of love and thanks to you, help us to follow your Ten Commandments and live in the exact way that you designed us, you who are the guardian of our hearts. Amen.